0: Just a quick warning that this single contains content that may be difficult and even distressing to listen to. Stay safe. (laughs)
1: This is a story of terrorism and hospitality. Hans Koonen is retired now, so he doesn't get to lots of conferences. But on the morning of September 11, 2001, he picked up his name tag at the Marriott Hotel in the World Trade Center complex there in New York City and headed for breakfast. As an economist, it was just another day in the Big Apple, another conference, until it wasn't. Today is the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, a series of coordinated terrorist strikes in the US which killed almost 3000 people and changed the world forever. Hans was one of several Australians in New York that day, and has told his story many times to many different people over the last 20 years. But what struck me about his story, and the reason I wanted to speak to him, was not how close he was to the action, or how he describes the flames, the smoke, the hurtling bodies. It's how he talks about the kindness of a stranger that day. The hope amidst the chaos of what must have been the most traumatic day of his life. hans what were you doing in new york in september 2001
2: i was at a conference of economists the national association of business economics uh it's a global organization out of america and i was there at a conference can you walk me through the morning of september 11 you woke up then what i had a shower got dressed uh about, I was supposed to fly out to San Francisco that afternoon. It was the end of the conference. So I left my bags in my room, mostly packed, uh, went down to the breakfast session. Do you remember the title of the lecture all these years later? Well, the guy who was speaking was Bob Scott, head of Morgan Stanley. He was speaking on opportunities of banking in Europe, which when you think about the last 20 years, um, <laughs> yeah. and then as he was presenting, uh things went a bit pear-shaped. The room shook. It Mm. was a bit like an earthquake. It was a tremor. It was the chandelier shook, the table shook, and the participants, you know, a couple of hundred people, up and headed for the
1: door. And this is in a venue in uh, the Marriott, right in between the Twin Towers themselves.
2: Yeah, it's number three World Trade Centre. The conference room sits at the very foot of the North Tower. So what was
1: the mood in the room when you first felt and heard those things?
2: The Americans knew that the the Marriott Hotel had been attacked back in 1991. They were on edge already and uh, they just left everything. Uh, They up and ran and I'm thinking, like Bob Ork, what's the fuss? Yeah. You know, because there was was no smoke, there was no immediate danger. but people got out very quickly
1: how did you know that this was actually serious
2: a couple of times as i was leaving the it was the ballroom where the meeting was uh people were coming from outside and they were singed and burnt and one lady in particular you know was screaming and crying people attended to her but you know people attended to her quickly we moved through the foyer of the hotel uh, and were uh, told to go out the other side because something was happening outside. You really couldn't see much from the foyer. But as soon as you went outside, the whole story changed.
1: What are those people going to do? <laughs> all, all the elevators are blocked out. What the hell is
0: from?
2: There was rubble in the streets, there was burning cars, and there was paper, a lot of it burning, just floating through the air. So you're standing there looking out on what looks like a war scene. And we were told to just head across the street and get away. So how were you interpreting
1: this extraordinary, unprecedented sight and sound?
2: Well, at at that stage, it was get away first. Something strange has happened. Don't know what it was. There didn't appear to be an immediate threat to my person. And then as we stood there looking at this ugly black smoke against the beautiful, beautiful blue sky. Mm. Uh, you think, well, what was that? What's going on? Somebody said plane. You think, oh, a Cessna? And you yes. really think that's dumb. A Cessna mm-hmm. would have bounced off the of World Trade Centre. So we're standing there just looking. People are trying to organise, saying, hey, you go there, do this. And I'm standing there looking up. And as I look behind me then, I hear and see a plane approaching and you think that's rather low. Mm. What's it doing? What's what's a plane doing there that low uh, across New York City? And it just kept coming and coming and coming straight at us. The noise. It was accelerating as it approached the towers and the noise of an accelerating airplane. You know, If, if you've been at an airport and listened to jets taking off, it is, you know, it screams. And this plane came towards us over my shoulder. Orange flame, black smoke. Uh, And then, then we realised that was no accident.
1: Indeed. I I mean, I remember watching the news. We got up after we heard of the first one and and we saw the second one live on the telly Mm. i can hardly imagine what it was like from from your perspective is is that the image that stays with you to this day the the plane the the noise or is there something else some other detail
2: oh no yes that that image of the plane going in and almost being able to see people in the plane i was that close uh the endearing image of that moment was a lady being blown out of a window and cartwheeling across my eyesight? Out of one of the towers? Yeah, out of the second out of the south tower. Um, you know, if I put my hand out, I can see her cartwheeling across my eyesight and then oh, hands. falling to her death. And that—that that is, you know, it's it 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 empties you of your insides it was jaw dropping the the plane hitting was jaw dropping then the death and then you start to notice you know there's other stuff falling is that a person and you're starting almost to emotionally turn off yeah and you go into you know it's fight or flight and i flee.
1: Where did you flee?
2: Well, there weren't many places to go. I couldn't go north because that's where the towers were. There was a river behind me. I decided to go to a Staten Island ferry. Mm-hmm. My plan was to get on the ferry, knock on the door of a church and say, hey, I'm a fellow Christian. Can you help me? I'm I'm stuck. Because your your gear is gone, right? Everything is in the hotel. Yeah. Everything is in the hotel. I'm, passport? Passport, money clothes, camera, oh. I did have my wallet which did help. A phone? Uh, no, no. Those days phones weren't quite as common and I bought, didn't bother yeah. taking it. Uh-huh. So no, I'm yeah, that was plan A. So I got to the ferry terminal. Uh, the towers hadn't collapsed by then. And I'm sitting in the terminal and the you could cut the air with a knife. It was so tense. Yeah. Uh, there was talk of nuclear attacks and revenge, and you didn't want to be of a certain color, or you know, mm. it was just low oh, head down, stay quiet. Um, but I felt I was safe until I'm sitting there, nervous and emotional, and trying to think of what will I do when the entire ferry terminal again shook like an earthquake and with it came what sounded like explosions i thought we were being shelled by a battleship from the harbor i'm sort of freezing on the inside it, what it was was the south tower collapsing mm. floor upon floor upon floor and each one sounded like you know an explosion you know the cliche is a train going through your lounge room i know what that means I know what that means. It was terrifying, loud and emotionally draining. But at that stage, the doors to the ferry opened and uh, we made our way onto the ferry.
1: I'm amazed they're still running ferries and didn't shut everything down. Well,
2: they did. They did, right. I waited mm-hmm. over half an hour. Right. They they were they were worried they were checking the ferry for, for um Yeah, for bombs and, and, and anything else. But Staten Island is the home of a lot of police officers and fire fighters. And they needed that ferry to go across to pick up the rescue workers. So you're on
1: this ferry, you're alone. No doubt you still got your conference badge yep. <laughs> stuck <laughs> on, on your shirt or whatever. You get into
2: conversation
1: with someone.
2: I'd moved up the front. A lady uh, came up to where I was. All the seats were taken. I offered her my seat. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, You know, would you like to sit down? Mm-hmm. She politely said, no, I'll, I'll stay with my friend Paulette. And that was the end of it. But you've got to, you've got to appreciate the place is now filling with, I'll say smoke, it was dust. It was ash, you can't see a lot, and it's difficult to breathe, and people are panicking to touch, and they're putting on life jackets. People mm. put life jackets, and she knocked off her earring, and it was a nice, very nice gold earring. So I picked it up, and I said, you know, excuse me, you've just knocked off your earring. Um, here you are, and in in that process, she said she saw the badge, you know, which said Hands Gun in Sydney, Australia. Where are you going? And I just said, well, I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm getting out of. I'm, I'm, I'm getting out of here. And then, and I've said these are the kindest words I've ever heard. She said, "Would you like to stay with me and my family?"
1: This is a day no one could forget. Certainly not Leslie DeFratis. We were able to talk to her as well and learn her side of this amazing story.
0: I have been on the Staten Island Ferry boat at that point for almost 40 years of my life. Hmm. My grandma took me back and forth as a kid, and I commuted that way for many years. I have never, however, been handed a life jacket to put on, So someone was handing me a life jacket and I was fumbling to put it on. And that's when my earring fell off and Hans had my earring in his hand. And he said, excuse me, miss, is this your earring? <laughs> and I said, yes, it is. And when I noticed that he had on a name plate that said Hans Kunn Sydney, Australia, I said to him, are you here from Australia? He said, yes. I said, are you here alone? He said, yes. I said, please come and stay with my family.
1: As simple as that.
0: As simple as that. I had a thought in my mind that if something this horrific Hmm. had happened to me when I was in a foreign country all alone, I would hope and pray that God would put someone in my path that would be kind and helpful.
1: I I struggle to think that. I would have been able to do that in that moment, you know, because, of course, you, like everyone else around there, w- were terrified about what was going on. So, so how did you push through to this sort of, you know, peaceful, generous offer?
0: I remember later on, my husband saying to me, you could have brought home a mass murderer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Instead of an economist.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and me said saying, well, that would never occur to me because I, I believe in the goodness of people. And ultimately that goodness prevails over evil and God guides my every day. So it's really quite simple for me. And to this day i try and help people when i can people are so kind and loving to me you know you have no idea what's happened in my life in the last 20 years but it's changed dramatically and i am blessed each and every day and actually astonished by the generosity love and faith provided also by suzanne suzanne and hans really it's just amazing. God brought us together for a reason.
2: So she's offered you a place to stay. You, yeah. you just said yes? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, right. th- think, I am emotionally naked. I am yeah. empty. I am distraught. Mm-hmm. I really don't know what the next 30 seconds holds. Uh, they were the kindest words, you know, Half an hour, three quarters an hour ago, I have seen evil of the highest order, the highest order. I've seen death, destruction. Wind forward, grace is offered to me, hmm. just pure grace. You go from evil to grace in, in in just that time, and it just touched my heart so much. I had a plan. God had a better plan. That's that. That's the truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. so you go to her home, you meet her family. Do you process that together? Do you
2: pray together? Well, um, uh, her mother went off to a prayer meeting and I I said, oh, you know, I'd like to. She said, no, no, you need to stay here, Hans. I mean, she was very... uh, Leslie was very uh, pragmatic. I was probably in shock. Yeah. She was probably in shock. And of course, Keep in mind, John, um, my wife is seeing this live on television. That was my next question. Yeah. She's seeing this live on television. You called home? Oh, well, you tried, but you couldn't get through. Mm. Hours upon hours. Mm. And, you know, you think about Christian hospitality and kindness. Folk got out of bed from, you know, church friends of ours, saw what was going on, knew where I was, got out of bed, and came and sat with Suzanne and prayed with her. Yeah. She phoned around friends asking for prayer. I didn't mm. know that at the time.
1: Because mm. she still hasn't heard
2: from you. She's no. just put out this
1: call. I yeah. don't know what happens. What has happened to him. I can't get in touch.
2: Yep. Yeah. Please pray for him and me. And, you know, all the time, uh, you know, God is working through this yeah. humble Christian lady. Yeah. No, we didn't sit and pray. We, she... um She just cared for me.
1: Leslie, did those events trouble your faith or enhance your faith? uh, Have any impact on your Christian faith?
0: Everything about that day enhanced my faith. Hmm. My neighbors rallied around us and Hans and gathered clothing and brought it over to us. The outpouring of love generosity understanding prayer i mean to this day i am a member of a very special prayer group whenever somebody has an issue we reach out to each other we're prayer warriors um my face became so much more deep on that day
1: what an oasis those days must have been
2: well like well that was that was you know it kept me sane it, um for three days, I stayed there. Um, Leslie then said, you know, Hans, you need to get your passport. Yeah. We need to, you know, uh, this is after I've managed to talk, speak to Suzanne. I've yeah. told her I'm well. I've told her to tell the kids, just tell the kids something really bad has happened in New York, but Daddy's safe.
1: I'm keen to know, did you stay in touch with Leslie? And oh, yes. Oh, right. yes. Yeah, yes. to this, to yes. this day?
2: Did I had an email um, yesterday. Huh. So yes, we, we're in contact 4th of July Christmas. Mm. Um, uh, she is, um, she is uh, unsettled by 9/11. You know yeah. I didn't have any people I knew who died. I just mm. I didn't. but they did. They had friends who died and uh, it is so much harder for them.
1: If you don't mind my asking, you know what for you is the enduring memory of those days. I mean, obviously, the September 11, but I mean in those few days af- afterwards, where Hans was in your home and your family was looking after him.
0: My enduring memories to this day are a little bit of fear. I when I whenever I leave my home, I carry a bag with me. It's filled with anything I might need in case I don't get home that day. Hmm. I actually call it my anti-terrorism bag. And all of my friends know that it's with me whenever I leave my home. You know, it contains my contact lenses, any medication, my toothbrush, my toothpaste, and anything I might need. Because that day I learned that you might leave your home in the morning and never be able to return that evening. And I also carry cash with me in case I have to bribe a terrorist. <laughs> wow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> 20 years on, how do you feel that day uh, has changed you?
2: Um, I'd like to think it had made me a touch more mellow it makes me appreciate the notion of caring for strangers, mm. you know, that notion of the kindness, the hospitality. There was, we've just, Leslie and I have spoken about it and I've, you know, I've lauded her for her kindness and she was, she was so generous. And she just says, look, I'm sure if it had happened in Sydney and I was on the Manly Ferry, you would have done the same for me. And I, I, I'd, I'd, I hope I would have done, you know, if there is somebody in distress a Christian response should be, how can I help, regardless of anything. She didn't know who I was, what I thought, um, my background, my religion. She didn't know any of that, um,
1: but she helped. So you're a, you're a Christian experiencing this horrific, iconic event. You're helped by a Christian. But may I ask, um, has it troubled your Christian faith as you think about this catastrophe
2: uh no it's challenged it you know it's the it's the 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 old idea of suffering Mm. it's a chestnut that Mm. you know we struggle with Mm. why does god allow suffering well he suffered too he 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 allowed himself to be put on a cross for our sake now um uh you know if you hold in your heart that god is sovereign that is a, that is a foundation. It uh, doesn't promise a, a good life as we might understand it. People die, people starve, and you think, where where is the justice in that? You know, from my perspective, God is love. He is sovereign. Uh, these things happen. Can I work out the purpose? I'm not that smart. I'm just not that smart. Uh, but I trust him. I know he is is love at his heart, and I will deal with it as best I can. So, it it certainly makes you reflect. Yeah. Do you have a special thing you do each anniversary? It, it is it is good for my soul to share the story, and if I can tell people about uh, Leslie's kindness, Leslie's grace, and the foundation for that genuine from the heart response of hospitality, um, I'll take it. So to the extent that um, I'm allowed to, I will share good news.
1: Well, I thank you, Hans, for your grace in chatting with us today. Thanks so much.
2: It's a story that I'm happy to share.
1: It's hard to find words that offer any kind of solace and comfort in the face of such loss. And the loss is still there 20 years later. So, like so many people today in the United States and elsewhere, I want to pray. I know that's not the sort of thing one does in a podcast, but these words from my Anglican prayer book sitting here on my desk just seem appropriate. Come to the help of all who are in danger, necessity, and trouble. Protect all who travel by land, air, or water, and show your pity on all prisoners and captives. Hear us, good Lord. Defend and provide for the widowed and the fatherless, the refugees and the homeless, and all who are desolate and oppressed. Hear us, good Lord. Forgive our enemies, persecutors, and slanderers, and turn their hearts. Hear us, good Lord.
0: You've been listening to the Eternity Podcast Network, eternitypodcasts.com.au.